<laughs> okay. Piera Gilardi is the co-founder and executive creative director of Refinery29, the leading digital media company focused on young women. Pierre has really changed the way that content speaks to and represents women. And as she tells me a bit later in the interview, she's always fashioned the company as a catalyst for women to claim their power. If you're one of Pierre's 175,000 followers on Instagram, then you already know she recently had her first child. And quick note, she's adorable. Pierre talks to me about motherhood, how it's changed her internal struggles with self-doubt, and how it's foundational to her creativity. We also talk about one of Piera's other little creations, 29 Rooms. It's the interactive, magical festival that brings together cause, culture, and creativity. Pierre tells me how customers help create and shape the different spaces, and how these experiences are helping people tap into their own stories. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. Just before we really begin, though, um, I saw your new mom. I am. How has it been getting back to work? Um, I never, I didn't, I mean, I took some leave, but I was very intentional about my leave as well. Like, you know, my husband and I worked together. We we started the company together with our other two co-founders, and we both wanted to, you know, take some time off to be with Viva. Yeah. And, and we were also, you know, very cognizant of, like, wanting to model what equal parenting looks like, but then also having to be realistic about just the responsibilities that we have running a business. That's kind of extraordinary to have that kind of partnership where you're not only partners at home, but you're building this business together, um, along with your other founders, of course, but to know those, uh, handoffs and trade-offs and, and be able to sort of tackle two very massive things together. I, I think about single parents every day and I think about the parents of twins every day because like, it's a lot, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to it navigate. Is, has this whole experience been different from what you thought it would be? It has in a way. I mean, I used to be in childcare. I um, I worked as a babysitter and a nanny for um, I think almost thirteen years, from when I was yeah. twelve to twenty five. Actually, when we were first starting Refinery, um, I was still babysitting to make extra money. Um, oh wow! I guess what's been really amazing to me is just like navigating kind of the the change in pace that a baby necessitates. Like when I had to feed her, I was really fighting against that time that you just have to sit still. Um, You know, she's bottle fed, so that takes two hands and you can't really do anything else. And I would just be fighting it so hard and, and, and just feeling like, oh, I wish I, you know, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Like I'm being, Mm -hmm. I'm not being productive. And then actually, I, you know, I started to realize that I was really causing myself to suffer in those moments and also probably yeah. not creating a very peaceful and soothing, you know, environment for her to feed. Um, and so I, you know, I decided to actually think about that time as like a meditative time to just be present. And yeah. it's just allowed me to I just feel like the process of being a mom has allowed me to explore my own mind in this interesting way. And I feel much more 
aware of my own thoughts. You know, when I'm at work, I'm more aware of something being a thought and not being something that I have to react to. Um, right. And I, I also feel like I have a lot less time to mess around with self-doubt and some of the things that historically yeah. have um, kind of weighed me down just because I don't, you know, it's like I, I come in, no I, have, I have several less hours a day to work than I used to. And so I just feel like I'm much more focused on getting things done and I, and being more decisive. And also I have perfectionist tendencies and it's, it's also been kind of forcing me to, to say 80% is good enough. And, you know, yeah. I think also my 80% is, you know, probably someone else's hundred percent or maybe even 120 sure, yeah, percent and I just also love that you know every my, my everyday starts with joy and play and singing and mm-hmm. I feel like that's brought a lot of levity and lightness into how I show up at work as well yeah I think Osho said everything is a vehicle for your transformation so use it and yeah I feel like yeah. this is definitely a vehicle for transformation we're going to talk a lot more about creativity a little bit later on but yeah. I do wonder that you know, so much of creativity is shaped by the inputs that you have. And when those inputs change um, or the pace of them change, I I wonder how has that influenced your creativity and sort of the imagination that you have? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, starting the day with singing, dancing, play brings a lot of levity that I then bring into the office. And I um, already found like foundational to my creative leadership practice is practicing joy, practicing, you know, bringing humor into brainstorms. Um, To me, you know, when you're creatively stuck, you're like a set of clenched hands. And Mm. to me as a leader, I see it as my job to kind of turn clenched hands like you know, into like inflated balloons. So hmm. I I need to bring that air, that energy, that life into a room that helps people to to let down their guard and to actually kind of expand in the way that you need to to be the most creative possible. Um, right. So the levity and joy of um, you know being with a tiny human every day definitely influences that. And then I think the time constraints. Um, you know, it's interesting. Creativity kind of needs both. Like it needs expansiveness, but it also can really thrive with constraints. Um, and then I think also just gratitude, you know, I've, I, I, um, I, ha- I have just feel so full of gratitude, you know, having my daughter it took, um, you know, it was a seven year process to get there. And, you know, I'm incredibly grateful to my family for, you know, supporting me to become a mom. Yeah. And I think feeling that daily and also bringing gratitude into the office, has just been a lot more present since I came back, um, just being aware of starting and ending every meeting with gratitude and thinking about yeah. through the day who I can thank or celebrate for something that they've done. You know, it also just makes me feel so happy to be back at work. Yeah. Well, let's talk about work for a bit. Yeah. You, your husband, and two other co-founders created Refinery29 almost 14 years ago. That's right. Does it feel that long to you? Yes and no. You know, I mean, I think when I when I think back to what we were doing 14 years ago, it feels like an eternity ago. Yeah. What were you originally trying to accomplish? When we first started Refinery, we were we were living in Brooklyn. There were all these incredible 
boutiques and designers that were popping up that really had a unique point of view, unique creative lens that weren't really being celebrated in mainstream media. They didn't really have a place to market themselves. There wasn't really um, many editorial platforms that, you know, talked about them. And, you know, for us, the foundational idea was really that style is an expression of self. And we wanted to celebrate that self-expression. And what we were allergic to at the time was sort of the predominant view of fashion as this rules-based platform that that was really designed to make you feel bad about yourself, to make you feel like you had to fix something about yourself and that fashion was going to be uh, the way that you fixed that. Yeah. I was never really a fashion person, but I loved the exuberance and the you know, self-expression that style brought. Um, and, you know, my creative partner, Christine, felt the same way. And so that was our original insight. We just wanted to celebrate style as a celebration of self, celebrate these independent voices in um, style that were doing that, that had these really unique communities of style around them. Um, yeah. And then as we, as we kind of leaned into that, that grew and grew because I think what we tapped into was just this desire for people to be seen, to be celebrated as they were, to be included in conversations that they'd previously been excluded from. So we started to think about how that lens applied to wellness, how we could make mm -hmm. sex more inclusive for women. You know, yeah. we thought just with the tone of the site overall, we wanted to really be, you know, your smart, cool, best friend or big sister, like someone that's not going to talk down to you that's knowledgeable, but it's not, you know, it's still within your realm. So I think what, what we started to see was that our audience was interested in our point of view and our way of speaking to them agnostic yeah. of subject matter. So over time, we really grew that lens. And then also, of course, the way that we told stories. So we, we started as an, you know, an editorial platform, writing photography, and then we quickly added video, live events. Um, yeah. And now, you know, now we're doing everything from film to national, international events. I wonder, you know, were you always a creative person from the beginning? How did you keep that going over the course of uh, the business? I definitely, I mean, I grew up um, in a very creative entrepreneurial family. So when I was growing up, uh, our favorite game to play at dinner was to brainstorm business ideas. And <laughs> we, we would come up with, you know, my brother would say, I want to have a, a, my business is a teddy bear factory. And nice. then, you know, then my parents would ask, you know, well, how are your teddy bears going to be different from, you know, the teddy bears that you have in your room? And what would you call your teddy bear company? And um, so we always loved doing that. And, you know, often they were kind of silly, nonsensical businesses, but but more often they were kind of viable ideas, I think. Um, yeah. So I, I think that sort of imbued in me a sense of, of possibility and the fusion of creativity and business. For me, creatively, I think the thing that motivates me the most is just the the mission of what we do and and yeah. hearing, you know, hearing the impact that we can create with our audience. That really continually motivates me is seeing and knowing how we can help our audience, how we can make our audience feel seen, how we can help them to grow in their lives. The work that we're doing is meant to be a catalyst for women to to claim their power, to, you know, be inclusive, to really celebrate individuality, to be imaginative. Um, all those things motivate me. Practically speaking, how do you infuse that 
in the culture of the company. I mean, are there things that people can do in their company that will help keep that kind of creativity alive? Definitely. I mean, I think the first thing is that I truly believe and we truly believe that creativity comes from everywhere. Um, I think in so many companies, they make the mistake of siloing the creativity of the company into, you know, a couple of groups that have, you know, creative words in their title. Mm -hmm. Every single person comes to the table with different lived experience that can really benefit the creative process. So, um, you know, logistically that sounds complicated. Obviously you can't involve everyone in everything, but yeah. you know, a couple, some examples are, you know, yesterday we had a lunch and learn for our 29 rooms event. And so we did a brainstorm with people from our mail room, from our, office team, from our finance yeah. team, from editorial. And there were amazing ideas. People were so energized. And then last night there were going away drinks for someone that's that's leaving the company. And I was talking to a couple of the people that came and they were just, they were so happy to be asked. And they talked about how at other positions yeah. they felt like they were boxed into their role in finance. And if they had other ideas, they were sort of squashed because, oh, you don't know about that. You're just a finance right. guy. Like you have um, to be granted the right to be creative. Exactly. So yeah. um, I think it's so important to really think of yourself in the role of host. Yeah. How are you hosting a brainstorm? How are you hosting a gathering where everyone feels welcome, everyone feels at ease and can bring their best ideas to the table? So for me, that often means doing a warm-up exercise, um, something that's maybe a little bit silly so that people can see that I'm also silly and that, yeah. you know, you kind of let their let their inhibitions down and put everyone on the same playing field. Also, I think, you know, you never know where someone's coming from. They might have been in a really frustrating conversation before or their head might be still be in the last thing that they were doing. So I always like to start off a creative process with something that you know, creates a palate yeah. cleanser. So whether it's an improv um, exercise or icebreaker, just something that'll bring people into the present and kind of levels the playing field. Um, I also, you know, I also with brainstorms, I will often kind of set rules at the beginning. I'll say, okay, the rules of engagement here are we, we say yes and we build off of ideas mm. we don't um, tear ideas down. We, you know, everyone's voice, I want everyone's voice to be heard. So I'll actually go around the table and let every single person speak since I think often introverts um, don't, you know, they might have amazing ideas, but they don't always flourish because often it's like the, the loud, you know, the people that are the most comfortable raising their voice are the ones that always are speaking. We'll hear more from Piera after this quick break. You may or may not already know this. It's no secret, but I'm gonna whisper it anyway. The Grow Show isn't the only HubSpot podcast. We also make a little show called Weird Work, a podcast all about the weirdest ways to make a living and the passionate and inspirational folks who work them. And it's hosted by Sam Balter. I'm just gonna read some of the guests from last season. A weed nun, a professional bridesmaid, the head knight at medieval times, an LSD microdosing coach, a professional cuddler, and even Wells Adams from The Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise. So the team's already hard at work producing the new season. But I worry about Sam sometimes. I know he's fine, but I just wanted him to check in with me from time to time throughout the production. You know, let me know how things are going. 
what follows are the voicemails Sam left me. And you know what? I'm just going to play a few of them for you. Uh, no, you said, Sam, don't go to Japan to find a human Uber because budgets are tight. So I'm in Tokyo and you really need to do me a solid with this expense report. Things are pricey here. Yeah. Hey, Megan, I finally tried nude modeling and it was really fun. I'm going to post all the pictures on the team Slack. Bye. Oh, jeez. Okay, I got an email from the Illuminati. Thought I'd follow up on it. At a strange castle in the woods, they're making me wear a pig mask and taking my phone. Oh, yeah, can you actually walk my dog? Oh, yeah, and then there's this one. Oh, <laughs> Megan. Megan, I did not realize I was claustrophobic until I got in the submarine. This is not going to be an easy episode. Yeah, and then he'd free associate marketing campaigns like... Megan, remember how you were saying, like, oh, we need a plan for how to market weird work? I got two words. Sky writing. <laughs> Megan, what if the new season of weird work is just all released on vinyl records? Something to think about. <sighs> oh, Megan, remember the first time we met? Megan, turns out I don't. I just got back from a clinic that erases memories. It's just like, uh, yeah, Megan, I just spent the entire day eating pizza in New York. Pretty nice day. It's crazy that such a small boat can pull a big boat. Who does Taylor Swift's laundry? I'm going to go to the hospital. Do you think they can do my laundry? Very rude. Oh, shit, Megan, robot fight went pear-shaped. Repeat, robot fight went pear-shaped. I got to go. Please tell my wife I love her and please walk my dog. Thank you. So, I was thinking, there's ice road truckers, but are there no road truckers? Where does all the vending machine money go? I heard about a guy in some Scandinavian country. Yoga definitely made me feel better, but I, I smell like a barn. kind of think I like it. Uh, Megan, just check it in. I'm realizing, I really hope I don't get fired for this. We'll see, Sam. We'll see. Okay, back to the show. Well, let me, let me dive into one of the uh, really remarkable ideas that your team has come out with, and you mentioned it before, 29 rooms. Give our listeners a background into where that idea came from, what it is, what, what was the problem you were trying to solve with it? So 29 Rooms is our festival of cause, culture, and creativity. Basically, what it is is that we take over a space that literally has 29 rooms or spaces within it, and within each one, we're addressing a different topic that we cover on Refinery29, and we're working with a bunch of different amazing artists, creatives, uh, brands to bring the whole experience to life. So it's a lot to pull off. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a definitely a very big endeavor. Um, Twenty nine is is a big number. I've, I can yeah. tell you that every year. I'm like, why? <laughs> not twelve rooms. I'm like, not what? five. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, but it's been it's been amazing. We so the first year that we did it, what we were trying to solve for was uh, it was our ten year anniversary of Refinery Twenty Nine. And we wanted to celebrate. We wanted to create a celebration that would be a gift to our audience um, because we knew that they're our North Star. We wouldn't be where we are mm -hmm. without uh, their support, guidance, um, inspiration. And because it was 10 years, we were thinking, how do we bring our brand to life, all the topics that we cover, all the incredible creative voices that we collaborate with? 
and we wanted to honor our roots in style, but but also celebrate the fact that we now cover you know uh, uh, the whole gamut of content. Right. Um, yeah. And so we decided to do something during New York Fashion Week, but we didn't because we're an inclusive brand, we said we want to disrupt the exclusivity of Fashion Week. And we said we want to create an experience during Fashion Week that really puts our audience center stage um, where they're invited, they're included, and we're celebrating the range of content that we create, but in an experiential way. Yeah. Um, so that was what, you know, what we were thinking about. And then we had this idea to, you know, we said, what if we took over a warehouse? We there was 29 different rooms and each of those kind of connected back to a topic or creator that we celebrate in our content. Um, right. And then, you know, we, we kind of fleshed out the idea. We pitched it. It was in, initially met with uh, a lot of enthusiasm, but then, you know, once it got a little further, there was kind of the picking a part of it, like, well, how are we going to sell sponsorship into this? We're a digital right. brand. How are we going to get people to physically come out? You know, we also had these really beautiful images that we were showing in our pitch deck and people said, you know, that looks beautiful, but that looks like MoMA. How are we going to have that level of artistic credibility? Um, and then someone said, you know, I think we should just have a cocktail party. And, uh, you know, which is, uh, we were just like, oh. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, but <laughs> then we. deflated. Yeah. But then we, we, you know, we said, okay, great feedback. We're going to take all this feedback, come back to you with some answers. And, um, you know, and then we built it out. We thought about how sponsors could be involved. You know, we really wanted to make sure that we gave brands a platform to tell their stories in in a way that was really immersive and really integrated into this event. Um, yeah. We thought about how we could involve, you know, the incredible range of creative people that we work with um, in creating content to actually build out these rooms and engage their communities to bring people out. And then we thought about, you know, we're a digital brand. What does it mean to put people center stage? How do we how do we use this as a platform for people to create their own content and then therefore kind of create this halo around the event? That's interesting. Yeah. What about your audience? How did they shape 29 rooms over time? Well, so both art and fashion tend to be not participatory, um, and they can be really intimidating to people as a result. Um, yeah. So, so we wanted to create a space that was, you know, that was very active for people that were coming through, where they felt like it was built for them, where they could interact with the art, they could, you know, really take part. So, what we saw that first year, you know, we really built it with that in mind, and we saw people come through and do fashion shoots. They shot music videos. People came and, you know, went into each room and did mini reviews on Instagram. Right. And then the other thing is that we really saw that um, because we were bringing these topics to life that we talked about in our content, you know, there was this room that was all about body dysmorphia and our relation to our own image. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we what we saw was people were taking pictures in that room, but then what they were talking about was their own very deeply personal stories about how they relate to their own body, you know, how that has changed. Yeah. And also um, in one of our, we, we did a room with um, with Disney with Minnie Mouse and yeah. we, we had set it up. We wanted to celebrate sort of the 
legacy of animation um, with Disney. And so we made this sort of stop motion booth where uh, this incredible artist duo Confetti System created this beautiful kind of maze that you went through. And then you ended up on this stage and you could use these props that they made to record a mini inspired uh, flip book. And then you also got, you know, a digital asset as well. We knew that people were going to participate and that they were going to record their flipbook. But actually what happened was that people were practicing the dance moves that they were going to do while they were in line. And then when someone from line went up to perform, everyone in the line cheered for them. Oh, that's cool. And it was so community. Oh, it was so amazing. You know, our production office was behind there and we just kept hearing these waves of cheers. And yeah, it was just so beautiful to see this, you know, the, the spontaneity and the community that was was being built there. So um, the favorite room at last year's 29 Rooms was a room called 29 Questions, where we encouraged people to sit across from a stranger. We had a deck of cards and, you know, they had to, they asked each other um, the questions from the cards, which some of which were really deep. Some of them were more fun, like, you know, come up with a secret handshake with your partner. Um, yeah. But uh, but people had these really meaningful conversations and, you know, we weren't sure if people were going to like the room because it seemed, uh, you know, like it might be intimidating or it might be awkward for someone to, to decide to do that. But it was the favorite room of our audience because I think people are really yearning for that, that true connection and that feeling of community and I think also just getting out of our own comfort zone in a way that is still – safe, you know? Right. Vice versa. Absolutely. What fascinates me about all of this is that this is just this incredibly rich and nuanced and detailed and intricate thing that you just laid out is only one piece of what you're doing with your overarching Refinery29 brand. In all of this, Piera, do you see yourself as this inspiration to future women in media? You know, I don't, I think it's like being an like, I don't know if you can call yourself an inspiration. <laughs> um, sometimes other people call me an inspiration. <laughs> um, but, well, you know, I, think I that mean, counts. <laughs> I guess that counts. I mean, I, I do feel a sense of responsibility to model what a leader can look like, you know, in a way that I hadn't seen before. You know, I think for me that uh, I had a lot of I had a lot of challenges as we were building refinery with imposter syndrome and, you know, um, even even small things like I remember when we were first starting to build the company, just being in these meetings. You know, at at the time we had hired people that came from bigger corporate backgrounds, and I would be sitting in a meeting, and you know, people would be um, using a lot of jargon. You know, we had a more senior person that did a lot of mansplaining. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just remember, like, I remember sitting there and thinking that I just didn't know what I was doing, that I was a, you know, that I was a fraud, that I didn't, I didn't know any of these words. And, um, and I really actually had a moment where I thought, you know, maybe I'm not the right person to run this company anymore, because I don't, you know, I don't know these things that other people know. And, um, and it was this interesting moment where I kind of had this little bit of a crisis, but then I thought, well, this is ridiculous. Like I've been building this company for this many years and what, what are my options here? And, 
You know, I think so often we focus on our deficits or we, you know, especially if we feel depleted or go, you know, we feel imposter syndrome or filled with self-doubt, we can like fixate on, you know, what we think are perceived weaknesses. But in that moment, I thought, well, you know what, I'm just going to start asking questions. I'm just going to, yeah. you know, I'm a curious person. I'm just going to start asking the questions in the meeting. And I, so I started doing that, you know, someone used a acronym I didn't know, I would say, excuse me, can you tell me what that means? Or if someone, you know, was talking about something, and I really didn't understand what they were saying, I would just, you know, Use say, can learn. you, yeah, what, you know, can you explain what you mean by that? And the yeah. interesting thing was that, you know, as I was doing that, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to ask these questions, and everyone's going to think that, I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm going to be found out for the phony that I am. Yeah. And what actually happened was that I would ask the questions, and I would see people lean in to hear the answer, and people would come up to me at the end of the meeting and say, thank you for asking that question. I had no idea what that person was talking about. Yeah. Um, and so whereas I thought it was going to really damage my credibility, it actually helped to build my credibility and also to build my understanding and to clarify things for a lot of other people. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and I think in a lot of other ways, I think the the things that are unique to my creative spirit, you know, the the levity, the laughter, the joy, the playfulness um, were all things I hadn't seen, you know, in a corporate lead, you know, and a leader in a company before. So yeah. I discounted them for a long time. I didn't think those were parts of myself that I could bring to the table. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to, you know, playing to your own unique strengths and, and, and valuing those and seeing how you can take them into territory that it might be, you know, uncomfortable or territory where you do have room to grow um yeah you know but but when you bring your strengths in there it's like a security blanket you know you can use your curiosity to open up a meeting and to to shed light on things that people might not know about you can use your levity to make people feel comfortable and bring creative ideas out so all these you know there's all these soft skills that I think people don't really value about themselves that actually can be so hugely valuable when you learn how to tap into them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been an impressive career and an important one, and I know you. you're just getting started. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk with us, and I can't wait to see where you guys head next. Thank you. It was so great talking to you, and I really appreciate you including me. Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. I hate to say it, but today's episode marks the end of this season. Whether it was Heidi Zack of Third Love, Simon Enever of Quip, author Kate O'Neill, or Andrew Dudums of Hymns, really there was just so much amazing stuff to learn and listen to from these past few months. If you missed an episode or want to hear more from the show, you can find every episode of every season in our feed right now. We'll be launching season two of Weird Works soon, so go subscribe to the show now. I'll put a link in our show notes. All I can say is, trust me, you'll want to hear this one. Lastly, I'd like to thank you. Yeah, you, hanging out, listening to my end credits. You're the reason we make this show, and it just gives me a real case of the smiles to have you listening. If you want to reach out to me or the show, you can find me on Twitter at Meg H. Keeney, 
or send us an email to hello at thegrowthshow.com. We love hearing from you. As always, I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and I'll see you next season.